Good morning, church. It's such a beautiful weather outside, and I don't want to pour cold water on it because we'd like to celebrate this wonderful day. But I'd like to start with a question that might be pouring water on that. I'd like you to think of a time in your life when you feel that life has been sucked out of you. Think about that moment, like everything was gone. Something that was so meaningful, someone that was so close to you has been taken away from you. Think of that moment. What do you feel when you experience that sense of hopelessness, that sense of joyness? In fact, one of the things that I have been thinking of is this. It seems that we Christians tend to think that the moment we receive Christ in our lives, all of those sufferings, all of those problems, all of those joyness would be gone in our lives. But the truth is, it would not be. We're not even free from all the pains and sufferings that we experience in this world. There's, there's a book written by my favorite Jewish author by the name of Rabbi Harold Kushner. And he wrote the book entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It seems to me that when he wrote that book, he was thinking of one thing. That when you are a good person, you would not be experiencing bad things anymore. And when you apply that in the context of Christianity, you tend to think that the moment you become a Christian, then no bad things would happen, ever. But that's not the case. In fact, if you would notice, so many Christians have, in fact, reflected that the more that they became closer to Christ, the more that problems and attacks of the devil come. But that's the reality of life. We are not free from that reality. But it's not only in the context of general life that we experience those kinds of suffering and tragedy. It also happens in the context of our own walk in Christ, in the way that we serve Him, in that way that we are in the ministry. I've been reflecting also on the fact that joyness and that sense of hopelessness would happen even among those who are really faithful to Christ and faithful to the work of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we might be in that situation where we experience that sense of joyness. In fact, in the the text that we have read this morning in Ezekiel chapter 37, the people of God have been suffering. And it seems to be such a tragic issue because they have been chosen to be the light to other nations. But the fact is, they have been exiled in Babylon. And for centuries, they have been suffering. And they have been asking that question, why are we suffering? And so they experienced that sense of dryness. And then suddenly, God gave them that hope that from that dryness, something will come out. A newness, a sense of hope. And in the second text that we have read in Acts chapter 2, that's the same thing. When Christ died, immediately I know, and we do know, that the disciples, all the followers of Jesus were just so afraid. 
And there was that sense of hopelessness and dryness because the one whom they followed have been taken away from them. Of course, it changed after the resurrection because a new hope came. Life rushed into the void. But even after the resurrection, so many of the followers of Jesus were even suffering and were still afraid. But everything changed after the Pentecost or during that day of the Pentecost. Everything changed because from that sense of hopelessness and disorganization and confusion, something came out and that was God gave them power. God gave them hope and God gave them a new sense of direction. God gave them power. There's a beautiful word in um, a, a, a Hebrew word, I'm sorry, a, a Greek word that has been used in the Bible 120 times, in the New Testament particularly. And that word is dynamis. And that's why the title of our sermon today is From Dryness to Dynamis. And dynamis means actually power. But it's not just about ordinary power. It's actually miraculous power. It's actually the wondrous work of God. And that was what God had given to the disciples and to the God-fearing Jews during that day of the Pentecost. That after Christ died and he resurrected and he ascended into heaven, he promised them that he would be giving them the Holy Spirit. And it's not just the giving of that spirit. It's actually the giving them that dynamis, that power. And that should be a key lesson that we need to take out from this this morning. That from here on, we have been given power, we have been given that dynamis, and we could not stay in the state of dryness and hopelessness anymore because God had given us that power. Oftentimes, we live in a sense of hopelessness as Christians. We tend to think that evil has won in this world. We tend to think that because of wars and violence and all things, there's no more hope. But that's not actually the case because even in the midst of all the wars and conflicts and relational problems and all the personal problems that you have, God is in control. And God has given you that power. And it is this power that we need to be revitalized today. It is this power that we need to be reminded of today because God had promised us to that and God had given us to us through the Holy Spirit. And what are those powers that God has given us? And we would be reflecting on uh, Acts chapter 2 as a way of reflecting on the powers that God has given us this morning. And God has given us as he continues to walk with us as his children. Firstly, God has given us the power of communion. Let me repeat that. The first power that God has given us from the story of the Pentecost would be that God has given us the power of communion. Could you imagine that story in Acts chapter 2 where the disciples and then God-fearing Jews, the, the disciples were given that capacity and that power to speak in different languages. And the God-fearing Jews were able to understand because they came from different nations. And so they were amazed, of course. Because they came and they were scattered because of the persecution during the time. And they were scattered. But God gave them the power to speak in different languages and to hear those languages. It was an act, actually, of God calling nations to him. It was an act, an affirmation, that God seeks peoples from all nations and all backgrounds to come to him 
in communion. One of the biblical authors said that Acts chapter 2 is actually a reversal of Babel. Acts chapter 2 is actually a reversal of Babel. Now, the Babel story, we could, we, could, we could find it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. And we know of that story, right? That here were the people who have been commanded by God to spread out and scatter to different nations. But instead of, of scattering, what they did was that they found this place in the east, and as they, got, uh, they traveled to the east, they found that place in Sinar, and then they built a city, and they built a tower saying to themselves, we need to build this tower so that we could make a name for ourselves and so that we would not be scattered. And because of that sin, because God told them to scatter, they did not and they concentrated. And so because of that sinfulness, God punished them and confused their languages. And that's where the word Babel comes from, confusion. And in that confusion, there were divisions and conflicts and enmities and wars. And this is what we are experiencing right now. But God tries to reverse that. In his act of forgiveness and grace, he seeks people to be reconciled back to him. From that moment of scattering, he wants people to be gathered to him in that space of communion. But mind you, God's purpose is not for the purpose of concentration, but for the purpose of communion. That wherever you are, whatever background you're in, whatever race, whatever nationality, whatever language, God seeks to gather us in his kingdom. When we celebrate the communion today, this is not just an act. This is not just a ritual. This is actually an act of God telling us that we gather by breaking of the bread. It is a picture of Revelation 7 verse 9 where all peoples from different nations will be coming together to worship Jesus. And we are celebrating right now because this is already the reality. The reality of the fact that God has given us this grace of forgiveness and now we are able to commune no matter what background you are in. That from the midst of that sinfulness we are coming together as one. And so I pray that as we celebrate the communion today, may we reflect on that act of communion. May we reflect on that act of gathering. That wherever you are, whatever your situation is, we are now one in God's kingdom. I pray that we would learn that. I I pray that even as we pray for the world not to be divided, I pray that even as we pray that the world would have no more wars and conflicts, we pray for people to receive Christ so that all of us would be in the communion and to be under God's kingdom. That is the power that God has given. And that is the reality that we would be exhibiting as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it tells us, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither free or servant, or save, neither man or woman, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are not, we're not divided anymore in terms of our social status, in terms of our economic status, in terms of our gender, because all of us are one in Christ. And I pray that we would celebrate that today. 
The second power that the Holy Spirit has given us through the Pentecost was the power of inspiration. First, He has given us the power of communion for us to come together and gather and celebrate our oneness in His kingdom. But the second aspect of power that He has given us would be the power of inspiration. There's that beautiful word in Hebrew that's based and that has been used in, in Genesis, and that word is ruach, R-U-A-H. And the, the meaning of that word means that it, it means spirit and breath. We could find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when the Spirit of God hovers above the waters and He created the world. It's the same word that was used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when Adam was given that breath of life. And that's actually where we got the word inspiration. To be inspired means to breathe into. And that was what God had given us at the Pentecost. God breathed into us His Spirit, His power, so that we would have life. Remember what Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Friends, we could not live in, in, in a kind of defe- defeated situation anymore. I, I think I, I spoke about, about this two years ago when I spoke that as Christians, we have not been baptized in vinegar. We have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so the moment you constantly complain and the moment you constantly sort of show to people that you, you, you are always in pain and you, all, you are always suffering, then you are not experiencing the power that God has given us. Because that's the spirit of defeat. That's the spirit of hopelessness. But what God has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit at the Pentecost would be the power of inspiration. He had breathed into us that spirit of life. And so the only way for people to know that you are in Christ would be to experience and to exhibit that kind of hope, that joy that you express that even in the midst of pain, that even in the midst of suffering, you are able to experience and to show that kind of hope to other people so that they themselves would know Christ. How could people follow Christ when you, in fact, are are, are always complaining? when you're always showing to people that there's something wrong in everything that happens in your life, how could people follow you? And how could people follow Jesus? How could you invite people into our church if that has always been the spirit that we are showing? Friends, be inspired. Be inspired and let the breath of God come into you. If you have not recognized that, if you have not recognized the power of the Holy Spirit, then please do so right now. Because our celebration of the Pentecost is a celebration of the work of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God would stay permanently through the Holy Spirit. And that means that on a day-to-day basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, then we live that kind of life that God has given us. The third power that God has given us is the power of proclamation. First, we have been given the power of communion. Second, we have been given the power of inspiration, God breathing into us. 
But thirdly, which is the most important message of the Pentecost, and that is we have been given the power of proclamation. One of the things that we need to emphasize would be that during that moment when the Holy Spirit gave that power to the disciples to speak in different languages and for those God-fearers, God-fearing Jews to hear of their languages, the purpose of them would be to hear of the gospel. That was a proclamation so that they themselves, the God-fearing Jews, would be able to receive this gospel and bring that to wherever they would be going. The first act of the Holy Spirit was a call to mission. The first act of the Holy Spirit was a call to mission. John Hoffman, a theologian, talked about four types of biblical preaching. And he said that there are four types. The first one is homilia, which is actually a homily, which is a reflection of any subject in the light of the Christian message. That is where we got the term homily. The second preaching is what we call as the didache, which is basically more of a teaching, right? Teaching that speaks about what it means to be a Christian. And the third preaching type would be what we call as paraklesis, which means it's more of an exhortation. It means it's talking about your responsibilities to be obedient to Christ. But the fourth one is what we call as the kirugma, which is what is being spoken of here at the Pentecost, particularly in verse 14 when Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel. What Peter was doing in verse 14 in Acts chapter 2 was actually a proclamation of the gospel. It was the kerugma. It was not just the dedicate. It was not just the homilia. It was not just the paraclesis. It was the proclamation of the gospel. It was the kerugma. And Peter was zeroing in on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He was speaking of the gospel. And when Peter was speaking of that, he was telling people to receive this good news, much in the same way that what we have done when we receive and we, we pass on the peace of Christ. And we are proclaiming that gospel. God has given us that power. There's no possibility anymore to be silent about our faith. Let me be clear about that. To be a Christian means to share your faith. It is not possible for us Christians just to gather here in holy huddle, be comfortable in our own pews, without sharing our, uh, the gospel and the good news that we have received. I mean, remember the, the parables that Jesus spoke about, that when you receive Christ, it's like you have found something valuable, like, like uh, what, what were those in the parables? Uh, the, the treasure that you have found. And then you tell other people of the thing that you have discovered, because it's so valuable. Of course, when you win the lottery, of course, I'm not saying that you do uh, buy a lottery. But what I'm saying is that the moment you get something, something so valuable, you share it to people and you could not stop yourself. That should be the impact of the gospel and that should be the impact of the power that the Holy Spirit has given to all of us. And that is the proclamation of the good news. When you have received the good news, then you have to tell other people. Friends, 
The celebration of the Pentecost is a celebration of our mission. It is a celebration of our calling. It is a celebration of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Paul said in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for that is the power of God unto salvation for those who receive it. This is a challenge to us today. And at the same time, a judgment. Are we, af- are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of living and sharing the gospel? Because this is the good news. This is about salvation. This is the greatest gift that God has given us. This is his gift of grace. And as us, he has given us that power to proclaim then we could not say no and we could not just be in our own holy huddle anymore. But that means that we have to be out there. That is where the mission field is. In your workplaces, among your family members, in the community. That is where God is calling you to serve Him. Lastly, in verse 12, there's that important question that was asked by the God-fearing Jews when those things happen. When they realize and when they discovered and when they have heard of their language being spoken by the disciples, they ask one question and one question alone. And you know, the, you, you know that question. What does this mean? You see, friends, you could approach that question either as a question of apprehension or fear, or a question of expectation, depending on the tone that you give. When you say, what, what does this mean? That means that you are afraid. You are in a state of desperation. But when you say, what does this mean? Then that means you are expecting something. This is a sense of expectation. And I pray that that question for us would be a question of expectation rather than desperation. Not apprehension, not desperation, but expectation that something good will happen. When something new happens in our church or in your life, when something new happens, you could either recoil in fear or you could receive that as the newness that Christ has promised to you. Whatever things that would happen, whether that might be bad things even, it might even be a problem, it might even be suffering, it might even be pain. But as Christians, the question that we need to ask ourselves would be that question, what does this mean, Lord? And with that sense of openness and expectation that he will bring something new to your life. And so let us celebrate that today. As we celebrate the Pentecost and as we celebrate the power of God and the Spirit of God that He has given us, let us celebrate this power, the power of communion, the power of inspiration, and the power of proclamation. And as we reflect on that, I would like you to just answer two questions today, and then we will spend time in silent meditation. The first question that I would like for you to reflect on would be, what area in your Christian, Christian life that you are 
afraid of. You are so fearful. And the second one would be, in what aspect of your Christian life is God giving you power to do his work? That sense of openness. And so let us reflect on those two questions this morning. Amen.